Hello and welcome to the Performance Through Health podcast. We aim to inspire and educate our listeners through engaging conversations on all things health and fitness, mindset, business and philosophy. My name is Martin McPhillamy and I'm your host and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Karina Paxinos, do yeah. you know, guess what? You're uh, the first female I've actually had on <laughs> yes. the show. I've, um, uh, Chelsea has been uh, saying to me for a while, your show is so dominated by males that you need to get someone on. And for the last two weeks, she said, my friend Karina, she's got a real great story. Like, hint, hint, hint. Yeah. And um, I was kind of like, yeah, actually. I'm, yeah, I uh, think I'm, it's so great. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, cool. All right, so I think um, we'll probably like dive into currently what you're doing now. So you're a yoga teacher, right? Yeah. So I'm a yoga teacher. I teach all different styles. And I guess before everything COVID struck, I was teaching probably at about five or six different studios, corporates, privates. So it was my full-time gig being a yoga teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But you didn't start out wanting, or, or, well, I don't know. Did you, want, did you start out wanting to be a yoga teacher? No. If you had asked me five years ago, if you had told me five years ago that this is what I would be doing, I would have been, I would have laughed. I was living in New York at the time. Okay. And I was working as an underwriter. And at five years ago, I thought that that was what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then just a year later, I, Moved to a farm, and then after moving to a farm, I moved to Greece for love. And then straight after that, I went to India, and that's when I just decided that I was going to do yoga. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So in terms of the you, – you, you wanted to go down – you were in New York, you say. And yes. And it was going to into corporate work, what was it? Mm-hmm. And uh, so what was that you were particularly focusing on doing there? Well, and, 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 and what yeah. made you feel like you, you wanted to get into that? Like, was there social pressures, parental pressures? A hundred percent. Looking back on it when I was 18. So obviously I, I have a very close relationship with my father and I respect him very much. And he's a very successful businessman. And mm. he always said to me, when I told him that I wanted to do sports science or anything sports related, he just said to me, you're never going to get a job in that. He's like, you're better off just studying Bachelor of Economics and just going down the route of corporate. And he's like, you'll be successful at that. Um, and I think more out of fear than anything, I listened to him and obviously because I trusted him. Mm. And then after working, I was working as a dealer's assistant uh, here in Perth for and I jumped jobs and companies for about seven, eight years. I was doing that. Um, and then I had seen The Pursuit of Happiness okay. <laughs> with Will Smith. And I was like, okay, well, maybe that's what will make me happy. Um, maybe that's where the joy lies. And I was like, screw it. I, um, it happened to work out that I entered a competition and I won a car. Oh, I won wow. a Mini Cooper. Yeah. And I decided to sell the Mini Cooper and I saved that money, worked at a stockbroking firm for a year, saved a lot of money and decided that I'd go on a year-long travel. Mm. The last destination on that travel, that tour, was New York. And on day three of being there, I was like, I'm going to make it work here. Mm. And so I met a group of Australians. They let me sleep on their couch. And six weeks later, I just took whatever job that I could get. And that was in underwriting. 
I didn't expect that. Um, I didn't see it coming. And I continually thought that I would get a better job. Yeah, I'd okay. get a better apartment. What's I'd, underwriting? Underwriting is kind of credit analysis. So just you look at small companies and see how much of a loan or debt they can take on just to expand for the yeah, expansion okay. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and after two years of being there, I tried, I attempted to get many better jobs and I just kept flunking yeah. the interviews. Yeah, completely really. Completely flunking yeah. the interviews. And is that like you? No. Yeah. I was just totally, I remember them all like they happened yesterday. They were just so painful. <laughs> and that's when I knew that um, I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. I knew that I was dreadfully unhappy and that I'd sold myself a lie. Mm. <laughs> and... Um, it was very scary because that's all I'd done and that's all I was qualified to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think we get, you know, we get put on these paths um, and I believe that everybody is initially put on a path that is not, unless they got the, the right parents that they're yeah. just like, okay, you just be free and do yeah. who you want to be. But everyone has to kind of put a structure to life and say, well, especially society, culture and society is the two biggest things, aren't they? It's like, yeah. You're saying like, you're not going to get a career in sports science. Well, why is that? Is that because you're a female? Is it because of this or because of that? Or it's just not going to work out for you? So, yeah. well, who's to say that? Well, to number one, culture is kind of telling us that, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. We can look within and see what we want to do, right? So, yeah. um, I've learned that journey, and I'm, I'm sure you've learned that journey from what yeah. you sound of. But uh, so you went from New York, and then and then what? So was I think I reached um, breaking point when I was in New York. Um, okay. And I had, I had friends who told me that I needed to start yoga and I was just not interested. I was like, yoga is not a real sport. Like, yeah. and, but someone had told me try meditation and I started New York lifestyle is there's always something to do. You're always out. Hmm. And I started staying in a lot more. I started meditating and I, st I found it really confronting because yeah, it okay. made it um, very clear that I needed I needed something to change. And that was when I decided to book my first trip to Peru. Yeah. Um, both to go, this was kind of the turning point of making me leave New York, both to go mm. hike Machu Picchu and for an ayahuasca retreat. Okay. So before we go into the yeah. ayahuasca retreat itself, it's like, yes. how did you discover about what that is? And uh, was it through, through friends? Like, I mean, I, I've heard of ayahuasca and for the people yeah. who are out there, we're going to delve into what that is and, and, and how it works. But uh, before I'd moved to Australia, I'd never even heard of it. I mean, yeah. I've heard of psychedelics, but I'd never heard of uh, what, what ayahuasca was. So being in New York, how did you hear about that and discover that? So, you know, life has a weird way of um, taking you down a particular path. I had met a a guy, he was from Denmark, um, and I was quite in love with him. <laughs> and I, unbeknownst to myself, he was actually, I had no idea, I really had no idea. He was quite into drugs. I just had no idea. Yeah. Um, and he said to me, look, I think that it's something that we should do together. Um, okay. It was June at the time. And he was like, let's book to go to Peru together, try ayahuasca. And I was like, I've yeah and i i didn't even look into it because i was like i trusted him yeah. silly, silly girl. <laughs> i trusted him and um literally days before i was leaving i was like i'm gonna look up this ayahuasca stuff and i read one article and i was like i just closed it and i was like i don't want to know more yeah yeah <laughs> it was just i was like 
whatever. There's a reason why I'm going and why I haven't looked at anything as of yet. And I'm sure that I'll be fine. Okay. So you so you went really like pretty blind, blind to what yep. it was, which I think in a way might be a good way. I uh, think so. Because I mean, I know a lot about it now. So now yep. I think if I ever tried it. Um, you'd be, uh, you'd have so many I guess just so many things to be worried about or presuppositions, yeah. anticipation, all that sort of stuff. Whereas, so I, whereas I think I read one article and I was just like, nope, no, I don't, I don't want to. And I think that's what made the experience so, so wild. Yeah. Okay. So this was before India. Yeah. This was way before India. This is way before India. So you, so you've left New York. Uh, you've gone you now with a, a previous partner who you, who you put your trust in. You've uh, you've arrived in Peru. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing you did Machu Machu Picchu first. How's that? Machu Picchu was incredible. Yeah. I highly. I think now it's. So I did that six years ago um i think now it's been overrun with tourists back then there mm. weren't as many tourists um and it was it was also such a soul crushing but soul finding like it was just such a beautiful experience heart-wrenching at the same time because it was really hard mm. <laughs> like it's a lot of walking there was rain yeah. There was muddy tracks, like you trekking for nine hours a day and there was just rain and you're just eating quinoa day <laughs> after day. These are not the worst things that could happen. But I think it, the mindset at the time, um, it was hard. But then when you reach the peaks and the sun comes out and then when you reach the end, it was mm. the most beautiful feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. So it's kind of... An analogy of life in a lot of ways. Yeah, brilliant. I like that. Yeah. I've, uh, I've, South America is one of my pl top places I really want to go and yeah. visit. And I'm, it's a shame to hear that like, you know, it's been taken over by tourism and stuff. But when you've got such a beautiful place and it becomes more aware, and there's loads more awareness, certainly the yes. internet's pushing it now. And obviously they want their economy to grow and but there's a lot it. of infrastructure going into South America. So it's going to become another, you know, it's going to become another city, which is you know, soul destroying. But yeah. Um, one of my favorite DJs, and when I first came to Australia, one of the first things that I noticed about how amazing this landscape was, was the stars, was the night sky. Yes. And how, like, you can pretty much just see how clear it is. Now, one of my favorite DJs, John Askew, he said he did a hike through Peru, and he was lost in the middle of nowhere, and they just kind of had um, uh, just a campsite where just, just them and basically swags. And when he looked up, he said he'd never seen anything like it in his life. Wow. Have you, did you see just the stars when you were over there? Um, so I don't recall, for some reason, I don't recall seeing stars. Yeah. I don't know if it was because we were there during a very wet yeah. and rainy season, so it might have been super cloudy. Yeah, okay. And also by the time we got to campsite, it was maybe 6 or 6 p.m. and we were just lights out. Yeah. So I don't recall the stars. Yeah. So how 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 long, how long is the trek uh, to to the campsite? Five days. So each day Five. you have a campsite. So you have the um, each day you stop somewhere along the path, mm -hmm. and they set up camp, and um, you eat a meal together in your group, whoever you're traveling with, um, and then you get to meet different other people from different campsites, which is yeah. all. It's really really beautiful it's such a great you don't shower for the five days yeah, yeah i mean you could but you don't want to use the facilities there <laughs> yeah so so day one on a trek what sort of uh you know you you're anxious you you you're excited day one we were so excited yeah so excited because we we're like oh you have the image in your mind of what the that that much picture picture and you're like oh my god we're going there yeah and um 
day one you're so excited and the sun's out and it's warm and um, it's just you start seeing llamas like it's great yeah <laughs> it's yeah, really yeah. really great yeah so yeah. What, what were you expected to be yeah okay yeah and then by the end of that trek by so the end of it day five <laughs> day four day five the tour guide is showing you the ruins that are just before that grand thing and he's explaining the history behind it and it's pouring down with rain you've just your muscles are tired you haven't slept properly and you're just like <laughs> can you just i don't care <laughs> Can you actually remember much of the history of it? Um, what is what is? Because I know it's a huge, massive mountain hill with ruins and stuff. But what was it kind of like used for? Or, or? To think, I to be honest, I don't actually remember. It's got something to do with royalty and the yeah. specific way in which they built it was to honor some form of. I could be getting this one hundred percent wrong, <laughs> so I don't want to. I don't want to be quoted on that. Um, I just I actually don't remember. But it had something to do with. Yeah. Um, the cultures or the tri- the village that was living there, they built it in a specific way for a specific purpose. Like yeah. there's a reason why. It's like the pyramids, right? The yeah. pyramids, like no one really kind of knows no. what they're for, but they know that in some way it was like a you know ancient tomb for the king, the two Tutankhamun or the kings or something like that. And that's it. It's just that's how you know, they worship culture, right? It's, yeah. It was gods and uh, and stuff, which is you know, the same now, but it's more capital and money in, in Western it. society. So um, you're at the top of Machu Picchu and you're looking around. It was, it was just, and it, the day that we arrived, it was cloudy. It was raining. There was big gray clouds hanging over that image, the final image. And I was like, I just don't care. I didn't even pull out my camera. I was like, this is the most beautiful thing mm-hmm. I've kind of seen. It gave me the same feeling that you feel when you're standing in the Grand Canyon, like this intense vastness and how small and insignificant you really are um because yeah it's just there's such a timeless feeling yeah yeah yeah. when you're there you realize that nature is so powerful and so so big compared to you that's it yeah you are significant when you're in such a vast landscape yeah yeah Yeah. cool so um five days of trekking you're you're at the top what what was then the next steps from from in peru like we literally caught a train and we got picked up by a shuttle that took us into the hills into a tiny remote village somewhere in peru but it was about an hour and a half Mm -hmm. um outside of the peru main town yeah um, and then they started the preparation for ayahuasca retreat. Okay. I've heard about the preparation. I've yeah. heard it's pretty gruesome. <laughs> it's, like, it's horrible. Like no <laughs> sex, no meat, no, like, is it, like, take so, me through it. So basically I was, um, I was following a vegan diet at the time. So it was very easy for me. Hmm. So basically for six weeks, you shouldn't be eating any meat beforehand. Okay. And then for two days before uh, six weeks before, so they advised no sugar, um, no sex, all of that, just anything, no stimulants to the body, no yeah. coffee. Two days before, um, or was it a day, two days before you do the water fasting, so you okay. just have the water, salt water. They yeah. call it volcanic blessed water, yeah. which it's just salt water. Yeah. And you drink about 13 liters oh. until your whole body is just emptied out. Yeah, okay. And yeah. then the next day you don't eat at all. 
You're just wow. meant to have water. So you're meant to do this, take, do the ceremony on an empty stomach. Yeah, okay. And, yeah. I, and I'm thinking, I don't want to go into what it is just yet because I want yeah. the audience to be held at suspense because some people yeah. will know, but but I can imagine why that is. Yeah. Uh, no, I know the process of what happens when you go through this process and how that can, it's, so it's, all, it's in all the scriptures. You know, yes. You talk about the ancient scriptures, it's what, the process that they went through. There's a lot of starvation and fasting. Yeah. All that stuff for the same thing, right? Look at it be able to, to look within so um the sherpas and the the shamans yes. how, what are they like are they... the shaman that we have i'm still friends with him yeah um he was 22 years old when wow. i met him but his father and grandfather were shamans and he had been initiated into being a shaman from the age of i don't know nine or eleven mm. so when you meet him, the only way that I can describe him is that he was male, but he had no sex. He was asexual. Okay. And you meet him and his energy is just very pure, but completely asexual. He's like a being. Mm. <laughs> very interesting, interesting, gentle-hearted individual. Yeah. Um, his name was Paco. I still, to this day... Still, I don't see him as being a male. Yeah. He's just a being, wow. like this energy. Yeah. That's, yes, that's, so that's, interesting. That's insane. That, and, I'm, and I'm guessing that it's from the initiations. Did, mm. did he tell you any stories about what you have to do, for, he has to do for, to be initiated? They, no, they don't really talk about it. Because you know, I've read stories mm. that it's very, very brutal. You know, yeah. they, they are challenged, they're tested, they're, you know, to the point where it's probably trying to make them like they are. You, know, yeah. you have to lose your sense of identity. You have to lose your, you know, your, 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 whether you're male or female, you have to just be. Yeah. yeah. So to go, I'm guessing to go through that process is you know, what's ego destroying. But that's that's exactly it. And I think when I asked him, I was like, "So how many times have you done ayahuasca?" Mm. And he was like, "Every day." <laughs> it really. Every day, maybe one day or two days they don't do it, but he's like, "Every day." Yeah. Okay. So I was like, but okay. I don't know. <laughs> so um, you're arriving uh, with the shamans. You've done all your days of your fasting. Yeah, mm -hmm. You're probably feeling tired now. You're probably feeling anxious. Yes. Uh, nervous. And what size group are you with? We had a group of... The first night we had eight people mm. and they separated males and females. So I went with the Danish guy and we got separated. So men got separated from women and also you have to follow noble silence. So I got paired up with a 60 year old psychologist who did not want to keep quiet. She loved talking. Mm, imagine psychologists <laughs> going into this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it was just super, super interesting experience. Mm. Yep. So I was really tired at this point and super anxious, but I was paired up, um, with her name was Suzanne and she was kind of like also first time and she was also super anxious so yeah yeah okay so I'm just gonna go through so you've come from New York you've gone through this process you've not known anything about it you're now with a person who you think is like asexual you're <laughs> anxious confused uh, you're with a person a psychologist who's probably pinging your questions off you yep. to see why just you're here <laughs> So that's probably pulling things up and you're thinking, oh, God, well, what, to what do have with? I done? <laughs> and then you're about to sit down, I'm guessing it's at night time, yeah. um, to, to a brew of um, uh, that is one of the most powerful uh, visionary and psychedelic uh, yeah. plant medicines that you can, you can take that's going to change your, your world. Yeah. Um, 
take us through the process of what you actually have to do at the ceremony. So in the ceremony, before you start, if I remember correctly, um, before you even go into the ceremony room, the owners want to talk to you and just make sure that everything's okay psychologically, mm. like mm. if there's anything that they need to be aware of. And then when you actually go into the ceremony, they do a blessing and a prayer beforehand. And once they do that, they start dishing out the cups, so yeah. measuring out how much each person should take according to what you've told the owner, um, they've okay. kind of decided. And also the shaman also decides what he feels okay. with your energy, what yeah. would be a good amount. Um, and then you just grab your cups and they tell you to drink. Okay. And is there any music going at the moment? Is it just silence? In the beginning, I think when they do the blessing and the ceremony, there is a bit of singing and yeah. just a bit of burning of the tobacco. But then that everything is quiet. So it's, it's just honoring yeah. honoring the um, the process. Yeah. And then you go up, you go up individually. Yes. And just you drink. Yeah. And I've, I've heard that it's not the nicest of, of brews. It to- is. I don't think I've ever tasted any. It's a kind of like mud with like a hundred percent alcohol oh, wow. combined together. Like I just remember, just it felt like I was drinking bile. <laughs> it just was so acidic and just gross. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, obviously, uh, the ayahuasca, you've got the two different plants, haven't you? And then mm-hmm. One's a, a DMT, dimethyltryptamine. Yeah. The other one is an MAO inhibitor. Yes. Um, combined together, drinking, uh, and then how long is it until you start to feel changes? So I think for each person it's different. Okay. Um, I, I think the first trip for me took 25 minutes okay. because... At about the 15-minute mark, I started noticing everyone around me, like, murmuring or, like, it kind of sounded like something was going on. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, nothing's happening to me. I'm just going to lie down and yeah. get comfortable. And as soon as I did that, I remember as soon as it hit, as soon as it dropped, the visuals were so overwhelming. Mm. It was like bright colors, bright sounds. I remember thinking my body felt so heavy. It felt like my body wouldn't be able to cope with the visuals. And in that moment, I actually heard myself thinking I could actually die from this. Mm. And I remember hearing myself say, and that's okay. Because the visuals were so overwhelming. I was just like, <sighs> my whole body collapsed. And it was just like, I could die from this. Yeah. But it's okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I think that was in within the first, as soon as it dropped, I was like, oh God, I could die. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. And you, so you so you pretty much managed to accept that immediately. Yeah. It was just an, an immediate acceptance. That, I think that's probably a, a, a good thing, right? Because yeah. I think if you're you know, saying, I can die from this and then I'm getting, you're resisting oh. what is going to happen, yeah. then you're going to get tortured. Yeah. So <laughs> take me through the, the process. Do you mind you know, delving into what you saw and yeah, you know, the of visions course. you had? Yeah, um, So the process actually, the first time, it took me through um, quite a few experiences that had not, so looking back, it's experiences that had not yet happened. Mm. So I remember there was kind of 
the biggest takeaway from that first one was my guides throughout the whole trip were all male. Okay. Now, a lot of females don't have a female guide. Like, they usually see the serpent like the snake um, without getting ideas in people's heads <laughs> about what you should or shouldn't see. But a lot of mine, my guides were male. A lot of them were from the Amazon mm -hmm. Indian chiefs and um, they were usually waiting for me, keeping their eyes on me, but I could understand what they were saying to me. They were always saying, Karina, we've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you for so long. Yeah, okay. um, and then I got to a, just a black room and there was a guy really well built. I couldn't see his face cause his face was like sunlight yeah. and he was wearing a singlet. And he just said, Karina, God, we've been waiting for you for so long. And he's just like, come up. And I'm going up an escalator. I get to the top and there's this huge room. And I'm like, what is that noise? I look into the room and they're just thousands of people with no faces. So no identity, mm. just sunlight coming out of their faces and out of the heart space. And there's no sound coming out of the room, but I can hear it in my body that there's like a rave going on and every and I can feel the joy mm. in that room. I can feel the happiness in that room. And um, he's just like, come, we've been waiting for you. And I understood in that moment that that is like what it felt like was that is the waiting room. So before you have a soul or an identity, wow. you're in this space where there's, no feeling so you feel stripped away from everything that you identify on this plane and on mm. this planet um and you're in this room no soul no face but there's just this joy this essential joy. this waiting room is just this huge party yeah okay. <laughs> everyone's just until they get called down the escalators until they have to go yeah. get a personality yeah. um and that was for me that was quite a revelation because i think as humans, we always wonder, you know, what happens in yeah, the in-between? Yeah. What happens after we die? And that kind of gave me, well, I'd like to believe that that gave me an insight into that experience. Um, and then my guide also made it very clear to me at the time. He said, you know, you live with so much fear. And he's like, if there's anything that you want to do, you can just do it. And he said, if you want to write a book, and he took my hand and I was writing a book and he threw the book at me. He's like, there, you've written it. He's like, you want to move to Paris? And he f picked me up and he flew me over to Paris. And he was like, the only thing that's st stopping you or standing in front of you. And he put me in a dark room mm. and then he turned the lights on and I was looking at a reflection of myself. Yeah. And he was just like, you, it's just, and I, that realization was so huge at the time. Yeah. Um, Looking back and I'm like, duh. But um, at the time I was so enshrouded in confusion yeah. that I had no idea. And so that was also a huge revelation. Um, and then the one that related to yoga was there was a part where I was lying on a river and I, was, I knew that I was dead. Yeah. I knew that I was dead and my arms were crossed. I was wrapped in white and... I was being pushed along a river and there were people in my life. I thought there were people in my life whispering in my ear mm. things that they, they were created a bridge over me and they were whispering things in my ear that they loved about me or what they were going to miss about me. Yeah. 
And I remember them saying, oh, you were amazing. I loved when you did this, this, that, the other. Anyways, long story short, I got to the end of that and it, that made me cry Yeah. because I was dead as yeah, far as course, I was concerned. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll bring that back uh, because a year later in my yoga teacher training, at the end of the training, I had to walk under a bridge and people had to whisper oh. what they loved about me or what they remembered. Wow. So it was like, as soon as they started whispering exactly what I heard on yeah. the trip, I just, I was crying because I had no idea that that was what it meant. Yeah, yeah. So that's the message, right? That so was the like, message. There was a death. The journey. Yep, yeah, yeah, there yeah. was a death coming and there was a new beginning. Yeah. That's the new beginning. So. No, I mean, that's obviously another powerful story, isn't it? And we yeah. know that's like, part of psychedelics and uh, you know, the, these visions that we have. And like I say, myself, I have you know, had some plant medicine experiences and similar sort of thing to you where I was uh, always, wasn't taking, it was an escalator. Wasn't yeah. it an elevator? Did you say elevator or escalator? Escalator. Yeah. It was just so specific. Yeah, because so no, I was trying to, trying to make it with it was similar as an escalator, but it was more aliens that were okay. around. Yeah. But then I was going up and I, was, I wasn't aware of what was behind me. But then when I got to the turn, to, up to the top, I turned around and it was an amphitheater. Wow. And we were, everyone was just watching over the universe. And it was like wow. I was at the top and I was being told that we're be, you're being watched over. And like, they're, they're, I was like, whoa this is that insane is so cool. and it was it was amazing but the first experience i had um was a similar thing to you again it was like my guides were were, were trying to scare me and like i had anxiety at the time and they were kept jumping into my body and like laughing at me but i couldn't kind of make out what they were doing and they were laughing at the fact that i was anxious because they were like what are you worried about like <laughs> laugh no no just just have fun like laugh because you can do whatever you like and they would just show me like a board and it was like just created whatever they wanted to create and then I came out of that like instantly my anxiety was gone it was like I can actually do whatever I like yeah so it's like those two there's always a you know I guess it's it's a a narrative to it and I think it's very similar narratives because it's the narrative that humans live in on an archetypical level it's like fear or worry or self-consciousness or one of those sort of things so to hear that from your experience as well it's kind of yeah makes sense yeah so the death and rebirth definitely i think that's a very powerful thing i know again that's it goes back to a lot of mythology there's always death there's always rebirths and i think that at the human level there's a point where in in our life that we always go through that you have to let go of who you are to become the person you want to be that's it and i think the brew for you and and certainly the medicines for me has allowed me to do that so um continue oh um and then what else? I think for the rest of that trip was very, very intense. Mm. Um, I was, I don't recall this, but I was yelling at the top of my lungs, just telling everyone I love people. I love yeah. everyone. I was like, <laughs> and um, I remember that actually bothered a lot of the other people who were tripping. Oh, they were like, <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think... The experience for me lasted actually for seven, eight hours. I was the last person in the room. So I don't actually, those were the main takeaways that I got. Mm. And um, then I had Paco, who was the shaman, the two owners and the nurse sleeping around me just because they were just worried. They were like, we're just worried. Not sure if you were going to come out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and then when I woke up, I was like, why are you all sleeping around me? Yeah. Um, and then they just took me back to my room yeah. and that was it. And then we had the second night 
coming okay. up on that next day. Okay. How many nights did you do? Um, so I was meant to be there for five days. Yeah. So it was three nights of taking ayahuasca. But after the second night, the message that I got was that I needed to leave. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, yeah the second night was very intense. Um, it took me to my family situation. It made me look at myself and it made me see very clearly my father. I have a very good relationship with my father and mm. it made me see how much he's been through. It put me in his position and I felt everything that he's felt Ooh. since I was a child, yeah. everything. Yeah. And um, it was so hard. And the medicine, the only message that I got from the medicine that night was, you need to go, you need to go home. So at the time I was still living in New York and she was like, you need to go where the love is. And yeah. I remember the sensation... The medicine or whatever put um, its hand on my heart. And as I'm going to say she touched my heart, it felt as though she was pouring hot, I guess, hot gravy onto my heart. There was just this sensation of love. And she's like, mm. anything that doesn't feel like this, mm. you need to go. You know, like any, this is what love should feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She made it so clear what that sensation should be. And so I literally got up. And Paco looked at me and he was like, what are you doing? And I said, I have to leave. And he was like, no, 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 stay with the music. Sorry, stay with the medicine, mm. finish. And I just said to him, no, I have to go right now. Yeah. And I pulled myself out of it. I had yeah, okay. nothing. I, he was like, what are you going to do? He's like, do you want me to walk you to your room? And I was like, no, I'm fine. Yeah. And I walked straight to my room. Yeah. I packed my bags um, and I left. I left the guy there without telling him Yeah. because everything that didn't feel like love, yeah, I yeah. just left behind. Yeah. And so I left him, went back to New York, and that was when I quit my job. Wow. So yeah. before this, you, you, know, you thought you knew what love was. You thought, you know, that, yeah. how does that feel? And then yeah. it just completely just changed blue like, everything this is how apart. this is what love is this is how it feels yeah and i think we get trapped in society we think what love is when it actually it becomes attachment or it's yeah. trauma or it's no need it's it's yeah. it's but it's not like yeah i mean i know that i've had my trauma issues or i've had my attachment issues and i've believed that i've loved people and it's like i look back and i go was that really love and even yeah. now i'm like do i 100 percent know what it is i've lost touch with with you know, what the yeah. medicines did teach me because you just get caught up in your work your role your job and you think right showing up as a yeah, yeah. And what would you call it you know a function rather than a human yeah like, that's so true yeah so back to new york back to new york and it was literally I remember spending a lot more time at home and I'd started, I never used to do this before, but I was cooking for everyone. Yeah, I would okay. invite people around to yeah. our tiny little home and I cook for everyone and anyone because the medicine also made it clear that sharing food and sharing company is what will give you a full life. Yeah, so sharing yeah, love, yeah, yeah. always continually share love in everything that you do. Keep giving. Um, so that's what I, I started cooking for people, spending a lot more time at home. And I remember I watched um, such a strange story, Mind of a Chef. I was in love with cooking at this point. Mm -hmm. And I watched Mind of a Chef. If you've ever heard of Rene Redzepi, he's the chef of Noma. Noma was one of the top restaurants for three years, two, three years. Um, and I watched the documentary and the farmer who supplies uh, Noma got a little five-minute segment on that documentary and he was talking about potatoes and he just said new potatoes 
are potatoes that you leave in the ground for a second harvest. And what the new potatoes do is they grow a little baby potato on them that cook within two, three minutes in a shallow pan. Yeah. And they're the crispiest potatoes ever. And he was just saying it, talking how he talks in his everyday life. And I remember I just cried because I was like, I don't know what that kind of passion feels like. Yeah, okay. okay. I was like, I don't know what that kind of passion. What does it feel like to be so passionate mm. about something mm. that you take something so simple and you've recreated it? Mm. And I was like, that is the most beautiful thing. And I was like, I need to meet this guy. So I just went searching for him on the internet, found an old website that he had not updated in like years, found his email address. And I sent him an email that night, 10 p.m. New York time. And I was like, hey, can I come work on your farm? That was literally all I said. And I told myself, if I get a response from him, that's a sign that I need to quit my job and I need to move to the farm. And he replied within five minutes saying, who the fuck are you? (laughs) Um, Which is fair. I mean, (laughs) you're getting an email. (laughs) And then I just explained my situation. I just said, I am so lost in my life. I'm doing a job that I don't love. And I was like, I watched the documentary. I've never heard anyone talk about something nature with so much care and I was like I just I feel like I need to be more in nature I feel really detached from everything yeah can I please come I'll volunteer I'll work for free um and he was like okay cool he's like asparagus season starts in two weeks come and that was it so I went to my boss the next day and he I went down and he's like Karina what's going on and he's like, come to my office. I went to his office. He's like, sit down. He's like, where are you going? Which company are you moving to? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not moving to a company. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I'm going to go work on a farm as a volunteer. And he was, now he's grown up in New York, right? He was just like, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why just, would you do that? Just cannot comprehend no. at all. Yeah. And I just said to him, I was like, why not? I was like, I want to learn to grow my own food. And he was like, Karina, I knew from the day that I met you that we weren't going to have you for long. (laughs) At this point, I'd been there for nearly a year and a half, two years. And then he said, I always knew that you were going to move on. And he's like, but you're a very interesting individual. (laughs) (laughs) Because mind you, I'd also told him when I was going to go do ayahuasca, I was like, this is what I'm going to go and do, which is very risky. Mm. I told him this is what I went and did or what I was going to go do. And he was just like, what is this? What is what are you doing? Yeah. Well, there's so much stigma around it, but right? But that's exactly right. So um, when I left, they took me out and then I got into a plane and I moved to Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So where were you actually born? I was born in South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa. Yeah, okay. So you yeah. have traveled a lot, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. I was really lucky that I grew up in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen a lot of different cultures. All right. So now you're in Copenhagen. Yep, and Copenhagen. You, 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 so you, what was it like meeting this guy that you've just watched a documentary on? Uh, and just going, um, I love your small potato idea, by the way. <laughs> I, I think I learned a lot from doing random things like that. So first of all, stopping in New York and just deciding that I was going to live there, sleeping on a couch till I got a job, and then emailing a random and moving to their farm. 
I learned a lot from that, that that's either really smart or really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Um, this was one of those choices that in hindsight probably wasn't, I learned so much, but there was so much going on behind the scenes. So I arrive at the farm and unbeknownst to myself, the farmer had just gone through his second divorce um, and he had been heavy drinking. Yeah. Um, the workers who were on the farm were only Latvian, so they didn't speak English. And I had gone from working nine hours a day at a desk to working 10 hours a day <laughs> harvesting, which is like bending over, picking. What's that do to your body? Wow. It, uh, I had a lot of, my back was like, oh my God, it yeah. was terrible. Yeah. Um, I had to adapt pretty quickly, but the best thing about it is that the whole experience was I was able to plant the seeds watch the vegetables grow, mm -hmm. harvest them. And then because I was working as a volunteer, the farmer took me to the top chefs at the top restaurants. We took the harvest to them and they would cook it up for in a six to seven course meal, yeah. um, fine dining, which I didn't have to pay for. Oh, it that's was just, insane. That's so good. So that whole cycle of life experience, I guess that's priceless. Yeah. You can't really put money on that. So I was really lucky on one hand. But then at night, like having to experience the farmer going through so much pain and yeah. anguish and also him always relying on the alcohol was quite challenging. Yeah. Um, not probably the best experience. So I was constantly having to balance that with being in nature. So spending a lot more time outside mm. and away from the farm. So once we finished work, I'd go for a long cycle. Yeah. I'd go just sit in the plants or take the dogs out for a run. Um, and then I'd try find ways to kind of make him feel happy or feel joy. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But yeah. It was quite challenging. Do you feel like you were having to kind of be a care role as well as a, like a volunteer on the farm, do your work and then kind of like, you know, yeah, I also want to help you, but also want to be not get involved in it at the same but time. That's, and you, but, and you have no choice. Like I'm an hour and a half away from civilization. Yeah. It's just me and the farm and being an empath, when you see someone broken, mm. like, you can't walk past that. Mm. You can't just be like, oh, well, man up. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. work that way. Have you always been empath? I like. I think so, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I always have been. And I didn't really figure out boundaries until about three years ago. So I was always just being the person who is yeah. giving everyone everything. And that doesn't work well when no. you walk into people who are, you know, could be manipulative and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, and obviously you've reflected on all this, you know, we're talking about now, which is mm. reflection. Were you, were you reflective before Ayahuasca or were you um, more like, um, projective outwards? I think I'm going to say probably more projective outwards Yeah. because I was, I think before Ayahuasca, I was always looking for external validation, like going to New York and wanting to have a job there, the title there, that's all external validation. Yeah. So I think I was more projective and I recall, I think I was in my early 20s I probably wasn't the very like not the nicest but I wasn't considerate I was super selfish mm. um, looking back I was super selfish everything was about me and about retrieving that external validation mm. and I was constantly on the search for that next thing that would give me a hit or make me feel good about myself yeah um, and then I think after ayahuasca it kind of made me slow down it was just like well it's not about what you can get 
It's about what can you give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so that perspective yeah. definitely changed. Yeah, my uh, one of my first experiences um, with psychedelics was exactly the same thing. I was down in the dumps. I was depressed. I was feeling mm. absolutely terrible. And uh, I just remember being really, really self-conscious, um, you know, just like obviously you just heighten to all the energy around you. You heighten to the darkness and the light. And you can kind of feel it, especially as an empath when you're on it. You kind of like, you know, you can feel other people's pain. Yes. And I was there and I was around these, you know, these people and I was all always feeling this pain. I was just like, oh my God, it's overwhelming. And then I just saw a, a guy in the, you know, just walking around. We're at a little festival thing. We're walking around. And he was just leaving all these individuals feeling amazing. And like I was, I was observing it. I was like, what is that person doing? Yeah. And I started having this vision that this person was Jesus and that he was going around and he was healing people and he was making people, people feel good and all stuff like this. And I went up to him and I was like, you know, what, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just getting them to talk about their passions, what they love and giving them good energy. And I turn around and I thought to myself, I'm going to try and see whether I've got this magical power. Like, yeah. I've never been aware of giving good energy. And that wouldn't have been a process that I would have thought of. It was all science and logic. Saw a guy, arms crossed, just kind of like, I could sense that he wasn't feeling too great. Started having a conversation with him. And I could feel in the conversation that he wanted to keep, keep coming down in terms of going into a negative spiral. And I, could, and I could sense it in my body. And I was like, right, what do I do in this situation? Okay, well, let's talk about you know, what does he love about this music? Why is he here? And try and give him positivity. And then all of a sudden, I noticed that he was changing. And he was like, his arms dropped down. He was really, he was smiling. It's like, I was like, oh my God, we have this power yeah. to give not not take and that was a changing point in my life because i all of a sudden realized that even though i feel crap and i feel down in the dumps i can still give love and i can still give uh, you know positivity or good energy mm -hmm. i like to call it the, you know the yin whatever yeah, rather than the yin yang the, the white the light you can give that and then you 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 feel it internally uh, and, if, and, and that's so so great. beautiful yeah. so beautiful like if you give you know you, you have to give to get it's a very common mm -hmm. phrase by many spiritual leaders or any kind of leaders but I never really you never you don't think about that in younger age it's like what can i do what can i get it's inflation of your ego yes. who am i what can i where am i in society where like what role am i going to play yeah and it's often it's not often until people are in their 40s or their 50s that they all have a mid midlife you know, crisis and then it, it turns so I think we've we've done well to learn that at a bit of a younger age than yep. being forty or fifty. <laughs> so you're on the farm. Um, obviously, you've gone through that, you know, fine dining. You've getting mm -hmm. some nice food. What where's what's next from from there? So straight from the farm, the farmer wanted me to stay for another harvest, and I was like, I really loved the experience, but I was like, I've got to go. It's just not for me, um, and. So I, at the time, um, my mother was living in Greece. So my parents had split at that point. My father was living in South Africa. Mother was living in Greece. I hadn't seen her while I was living in New York. So I was like, I'm going to go to Greece um, and see her because at the time she was really unwell. And, you know, you always just want to make sure that you get in some quality time. And when I went to Greece, the year before, when I was doing that whole year travel before, or a couple of years before, before I landed in New York, mm. 
when I was traveling the world, I did the round the world travel, I stopped in Greece and for one month I'd met a guy. <laughs> I'd met a guy and we, for the month that I was in Greece, we just did everything together. Mm -hmm. And before I moved to New York, he's like, I want you to move in with me. He's like, I want you to stay here in Greece. And I was like, I just got a job in New York. I was yeah, like, bye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> and... Um, then I got back to Greece and I dialed him up and I was like, hey. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> Two years later, are you still interested? And I remember we met up and he just said to me, I was like, do you want us to be together? And he was just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, fair enough. Fair enough. It's only been two years. Yep. <laughs> Can't expect you to wait around, but no need for a rejection. And I was just like, cool, 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 cool. And I was like, damn it. What am I going to do now? So anyways, I had planned to stay for a month. And then I was going to leave. I was going to come back to Australia because I was like, um, what am I going to do in Greece? Anyways, long story short, about a week later, he called me and he's like, I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay. And he's like, I want you to come and live with me. He's like, I've been wanting this to happen. And he's like, I was so upset when you left the last time. I'm so scared that you're going to leave again. Mm. And I was like, that is fair. Yeah. But I'm, I really want to give this a try because it, also it stayed in my mind yeah, okay. for this long anyways so I moved in with him and th that's when I think this was my my this is the point in my life where I understood what depression was um, yeah, okay. because at the time Greece was going through the economic crisis yeah I remember that so all that I had in terms of experience was working in finance and there were no jobs one two Unless you had contacts, you would get a job, and I had none. Mm. Um, and the mean wage was 500 euros a month, where, wow. you know, that's not very much money when your average groceries per week cost something like 50 to 60, 70 euros. Yeah. So I was panicking. I didn't know what to do for work. And I started doing, I started teaching English. It was very humbling. Mm. Started teaching English. I was mystery shopping for two euros a phone call, oh. calling uh, really expensive hotels, booking 20,000 euro a night, mm. just to make sure that they were offering everything correctly. I did anything that I could. Um, and it started getting me down because yeah, I was okay. like, I couldn't get a job doing what I'd always known, but I'd no longer identified with working in finance. Okay. And I didn't know what that meant. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, what am I going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is my purpose? Yeah. Why am I in this world? Yeah. I'm not f helping anyone. And that couldn't have been easy on the relationship because I was wake. I, I woke up every single day crying. Yeah. I didn't want to wake up yeah. at that point. Yeah. And then I try to go for a run um, and I would just break down in the middle of the street. And it was not even crying as in sobbing crying it was body crying i just lie on the floor crying and people would walk past and drop tissues next to me or come and hold me mm. i never saw them but they would do and i couldn't get out of it so my parents were getting really worried about me um and they're like you need to get help and so i ended up doing a google search <laughs> randomly the first person that i found was a psychologist who also practice meditation and breath work. Okay. And I decided to meet him and he said to me, when I first met him, he started doing really intense breath work. Mm. Um, 
And he said that we need to start doing meditation together. So we would do talk therapy for an hour and then the next hour would be half an hour of meditation and then half an hour of intense breath work. Okay. And I worked with him for a year. Yeah. And wow, a year. A year. A year of doing that. A solid year because I couldn't find my feet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and That's towards, some deep inner work. Yeah. That's what it it really did. And I kept falling down. Yep. It was the darkest time that yep. I remember in my life. And into the abyss. Yeah, into the abyss. And the relationship was also sinking with the whole experience because I had zero capacity to give to myself and then to give to anybody yeah. else. Well, you, you, you're with an individual who didn't want you to, to leave the country, but mm. you, you weren't there anyway. Because no, you weren't you. I wasn't me. So it's almost like you you may as well... I may as well have just left. Yeah. And so it was very... It breaks my heart because that was so <laughs> unfair in hindsight. Um, but after a year of working with him, he said to me, look, I think that you're ready. You need to go to India and do Vipassana, which is a 10-day meditation, 100 hours of meditation, mm. a silent retreat. Um, and he's like, I think you're ready to go and do it. And I was like, no, yeah. not doing it. Yeah. And then a week later, I said to him, okay, I'm ready. And he's like, okay, good. The next Vipassana retreat in India is April. Book in to do it. And since I was going all the way to India, I was like, what else can I do in India? Yeah. And I was like, mm, I'm going to do my teacher training. Yeah. And he's like, why are you doing a teacher training? He's like, you don't even do yoga. And I was like, well, what else are you going to do in India? Like yeah. when in Rome? Yeah. And he was just like, okay. Um, so before you go go there, I've just got a couple of questions. Yes. Um, so I'm really interested in psychology. So yes. I want to just kind of break down into yeah. the process you've gone through. So you've had, uh, you said you had an hour of uh, talking yeah. first mm -hmm. and then meditation and then breath work. Yeah. So the talking obviously is bringing things up into awareness yeah. and then the meditation sitting there with with that. Yeah. And then the breath work is to to, to, to overcome that. Yeah. That right. So, so what sort of breath work? Well, take us through that you know, a little bit of experience. Yeah. Yep. So the breath work that he would do would be he'd, he had, a, he had created like a mouth guard that keeps the mouth open. So it's deep breathing. So first, sorry, I forget. First, you'd have to get the body activated. So he'd make me walk around the room to really thumping music and like yeah. for about two minutes till I was exhausted. Yeah, okay. Uh, then he would make me lie down and put a mouth guard in that would keep the mouth open. Yeah. And I'd have to breathe all the way into the belly, raise the belly all the way up. So it yeah. was full breaths yeah. and then exhale all the way out. And I'd have to do that for maybe five minutes. And breathing properly mm. is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And then after that, he would make me focus on a particular spot. So let's just say the throat and he'd make me make a sound like ee yeah, for the length of the exhalation. Vibrations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the heart and he'd make me go ah. Like, so with the breath work, he'd make me inhale and then make certain sounds. Yeah. And then after you do breathing, proper breathing for five minutes, you I would feel so lightheaded. And yeah. then you'd just be like, okay, let go. Yeah. And then that's when you'd go into really lucid, lucid dreaming. Yeah. And then he would wait for 15 minutes and then he'd wake me up. And then once he pulled me up, he'd be like, what did you see? We need to talk about it. Wow. Because yeah. the lucid dreams would obviously bring up something that yeah. you'd need to talk about. And we'd talk about it in the next session. Yeah. Okay. But he'd just be like, let's go through what you just saw and what it could mean for this session. Yeah. And I mean, modern, modern medicine doesn't 
pay particular attention Mm-mm. to any of this. No. I know a, a typical clinical psychologist doesn't do. I mean, perhaps a Jungian psychologist might, have, yeah. but it's like the you know what you're doing is you is you're you know, you're activating that vagus nerve. You yeah. that, you get into that parasympathetic state. You um, you know they used to call it the chakras, but it is just yes. points in the in, in yeah. within the in the vagus nerve that have all these nerve endings that are essentially in your body that are detecting what's going on in your body, which are actually storing emotions and, and memories. So you're just resurfacing those obviously yes. in, in these lucid dreams, and they might not be like dreams aren't they? Yeah. They, they're not the dead. Yes. It's not the story to the image, but the the narrative behind it is something that you yes. need to figure out. So there might be some symbols in there that mm-hmm. you need to work with. And then you talk about the symbols. Okay, well, what does that mean? You dig deeper. Yes. Is that what the process that you're going That was exactly the process. Yeah. yeah, That was it. So it was super. I mean, I was so lucky that I found him. Yeah. That yeah. was Google search. He Look, was Lucky top. or fate? Probably fate. Yeah. Probably fate. Because he just said to me, he's like, I remember him saying, how did you find me? Mm. And I was like, Google search. And he was like, no one has found me on a Google search. Mm. So I must have been looking for something in particular. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. Because he's done Vipassana and he's an um, avid practitioner of Vipassana meditation. Yeah. So what, so what is vi- 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 Vipassana? Vipassana. Yeah. So Vipassana is it's a method of method methodation, <laughs> meditation, um, whereby you follow particular, they teach you a particular type of breath work which allows you to focus and sink into all sensations in the body. And when you become hyper aware of sensations of the body, you are able to, if you understand the awareness within yourself, the awareness becomes that of the whole. Okay. If, and you can't hide from truth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because when you sink into sensations, so for example, once I finished the hundred hours of meditation, which again was the most intense thing I've ever done. (laughs) Um, I remember you're not allowed to talk to anyone. You can't speak. You can't write. You can't read. you just with your thoughts and the voice in your head. Yeah. And I remember thinking by day five, I was like, I think it would be easier to shoot myself in the foot. I'd feel less pain. Yeah, really. Instead of just hearing the constant critic at yeah. the time, my inner voice was so cruel. Was it getting louder and louder each, so each day as well? Each or? day up until day five, I was just like, this is exhausting. Yeah hearing that voice and just telling me like oh you didn't do this you're not doing that you're not just it was just beating me it broke me yeah it broke me yeah and on day five i was like if i shot myself it would just be less painful again metaphorically going down to that death and yeah. rebirth like you yeah know, if i did shoot myself then this it would yeah. be easier so psychologically you would have had to go through a death yeah. period there so day six day six was when i was like the voice just shut up. So the rebirth. Yeah. yeah. The voice was just like, oh, okay, we're bored. Yeah. And I found that I was sinking into meditation yeah, yeah. a lot deeper. It honestly, it felt at one point, I'll never forget it, that I was floating, like I'll never forget the visual that came with it. I was floating kind of in the pyramids and I was just sitting there and I could feel the breeze mm. on the back of my ears and I could feel birds. Just I could feel everything with my eyes closed. Um and that's when I knew that I, because by day five, you also think this is a cult. Yeah, of course. Like, this is crazy. People yeah. are crazy. This is nuts. Day six, I was like, okay, we got this. Day seven, I was like, let's keep going. I don't want this to end. Day eight was where, and nine was where I experienced comp- no having no body. 
What? I understood. All I could feel was a pulse, as in a heartbeat, that it was not necessarily my own. It was the pulse of the universe. Mm. There was no difference between my right hand and my left foot or left knee. I was like, what is even, what is, even is a knee? Yeah, yeah, What's yeah. a shoulder? Who yeah. cares? Yeah, like yeah. It, it was just this understanding that you're just suspended into just energy, just yeah. complete energy. So you've dissociated from ego. Completely. You just... uh, Without saying that. I wouldn't have said that I dissociated from ego. At the time, it just felt... I felt freeform. There was no body. There was just energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. Yeah. And I I mean, I've... Again, I have been in that that state very shortly. I think I... um, I have to try and DMT. I battled for what felt like an eternity to not allow my ego to dissolve and it was the most painful experience and scariest of experience yeah. because i thought i was dying and uh, you know this, this female being came to me and just kind of stroked my head and just told me i'll be okay and then the next minute i was just similar just just pure energy which felt like just love wow. and i was there was nothingness and i was just like what the hell is this but that's what, what i believe that that is you know it's the afterlife like you just said earlier on it's like you know, that's where we go that's where the spirit goes or where the spirit starts there's no beginning or end it's just continuous so it's, it's yeah. yeah to hear you say that again just yeah. resonating so much i'm like oh yeah, that, yeah. and and you know, I, I often get afraid about speaking about like, this sort of stuff because people think, oh, you're bonkers, Martin, you know, what you're on about like this because people are so dominated by what this world looks like, what this reali- yeah. what, what is reality when we have no idea tr- like, yeah. what true reality is. So, but like people listening to this might go, this guy's a nutcase, but so I'm, I'm happy that you're, you're <laughs> yeah. saying the same thing. And I know amongst you know, yogics and spiritual spiritualists and, and many psychonauts, they will say the exact same thing. So it's, yeah. it's, it's not like it's uh, just out there crazy. It's, yeah. it, there is, there's truth in there. Yeah. yeah. There definitely, yeah, there definitely is truth in there. And I think that this, um, the particular type of meditation, the whole experience of it being so intense, it really taught me compassion Mm -hmm. because it made me realize that we are all psychopaths Mm -hmm. holding it together by a fine thread. (laughs) Because if we're all dealing with that voice in our head, we are doing it so well if we are functioning normally in society. So it it was my biggest lesson in compassion Mm -hmm. towards fellow humans. and yeah, uh, at the end, so in terms of why the meditation tunes you into your sensations, yeah. at the end when I, you could make, get your phone and speak to the people that you loved, um, my first phone call was to my boyfriend, the Greek. Um, yeah. And when he called, the sensation in my body, it was so intense. I felt like there was a rush of ice coming from my belly mm. all the way up to my throat. And it was ice and it was constricting and it made me feel tense. Yeah, okay. And from that phone call, he was just like, I've missed you so much. I, you, 
she was just being so loving mm. and that was the moment that I knew that it just wasn't right yeah, because yeah. I wasn't in it. You can take it back. You, yeah. would be, you were being choked, right? That's you're, it. You're, you're, and in contrast, my dad called straight after yeah. and I felt as though I was sitting in front of a fire. Yeah. Like, and I was being, just, and he was just like, I've missed you so much. And I was like, I've missed you too. Yeah. Like my, except my response to the boyfriend was just like, okay, cool. I got to go. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it made me hyper in tune. Yeah. 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 With what the truth was, yeah, and and, and how disconnected are we? You know, yeah. we distracted, we, distracted, uh, you know, outward projecting. Uh, we think about feelings, all those. You know, the, the how how the body feels, like intuition, for example. Mm-hmm. Like if if we were to get over our uh, our mind logic rationality telling us what to do after we feel something and just go with that first kind of you know, what our body's telling us would be a lot you know, happier and yeah. living a life that we'd want to live but then we rationalize it and say well actually is that right? doesn't and, make sense yeah and then there's also obviously traumas from childhood that yeah. also block that, that that's those feelings as well but and a lot of people just constantly just feel pain like they don't mm. even know how to feel pleasure no. they don't know how to experience pleasure and um I mean, I, I'm not a yogic. I, I'm probably not in tune with my body. I think it, being ex, being a you know someone who exercises and someone who does yeah. a little bit of it more in tune than someone who doesn't exercise yes. and someone just sits at the desk all day. But it's movement mm-hmm. for me uh, is one of the critical things in my business, performance through health. It's like movement is key to being being all bodily aware. And I think if yes. you're bodily aware, you're self aware. Yeah, and I think that's how it ties in so nicely with yoga because. Yoga, the asana part, which is the movement part of asana, is what is meant to draw your attention into the body. Mm. And one of my favorite teachers, um, Dylan Werner, he, there was something that he said that really struck a chord with me. He's like, how good does it feel to be in your body? Mm. Um, and to, I guess, also know, taking that further, what he said, he's like, to know what your capabilities are. How far can you take your body beyond the restrictions of your mind? Mm. And what is it that you want to achieve? And, you know, and it's not that in yoga, it's not about achieving any particular goal, but it's about immersing yourself so deeply into the practice and the experience that the outcome happens anyways. Yeah, okay. You know, so I agree with you that movement is such a, such a powerful, powerful tool for internal awareness Mm. and external awareness. It's just a mirror. Like you, like you saw yourself (laughs) in that mirror. It's like in the internal world is just projected out to the external world. The external world is then interjected back inside Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, well that, that hot mirror there is what consciousness is and you can either be on the you know the one side or the other the duality that you can see and you're either looking back in or you're starting within and uh, i'm about fifty thousand words into a book of my process of being an extroverted individual and always looking for validation going that way so then you know going through a death and rebirth to discover this internal world that i'm now truly who I am and want to, and I want to give back. And you know, Jung calls it a process of individuation. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're just discovering, you're becoming who you are, yeah. not what you what, what you think you need to be. Yep. Um, so I think I need to get into yoga more. I think yeah. I need to, uh, <laughs> I, I do, I do uh, something called a ROMWOD, which is range okay. of motion yes. workout daily. Yep. 
and it's a combination of yin, a little bit of kung fu, and I think there's another one, a little bit of breath work. And it's oh, like nice. 20 minutes a do- 20 minutes a night. I haven't done it for a little while now, but when I first started doing that, um, that's when I discovered the internal world because it's very, very, very. Uh, it's about slowing yourself down as much as you can. It's it's it's, yeah. a, it's about recovering from exercise. We constantly undergo stress, 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 stress. Yeah. This is like okay, you're in poses for three to five minutes, and yeah. you're going to be breathing ten seconds in. 10 seconds out yeah. and sometimes pausing your breath so you might even breathe like twice in a minute three times in a minute and all of a sudden in your yeah, mind you're like your mind's oh my god <laughs> what is all this i'm thinking about yeah but then you can actually start to visualize and you can visualize i was visualizing lights but then dimming the lights down so it's like all of a sudden i was like really really switched off to the point where the pain that i was trying like was in my joints was gone because so I was so great. present and I, I can't get there very often but it was after yeah. about a year of doing it I'd like all of a sudden be like then I'd be like oh like oh my god where was I for a second like, I, I was somewhere else oh that is incredible because you know when have you ever sat so even in the meditation retreat it's this is how powerful the mind is we would have to sit cross-legged it was called aditan aditan is stronghold mm. so where you cross the legs but you have to hold that position you cannot move yeah my hips can't do that <laughs> <laughs> my back just bends <laughs> um and they told us that you can't move and there's a point where your one leg goes dead mm. and a dead leg is a very scary sensation and when you're sitting in that cross-legged position and all you can think of because you have to keep scanning the body and you're like oh my god my right leg is dead oh my god my right leg is dead and then you're like okay it's fine just keep focusing on the rest of the body what am i feeling in my head and you know that you've still got a dead leg um but after you do about two or three more body sweeps but just focusing on every other part of the body Mm. The sensation of a dead leg goes away and your leg feels completely normal. And I was like, that's all in the brain. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not real. Yeah. And so I was like, it, that was another analogy is that we create, we create these situations of discomfort for ourselves. Mm. It's all created. Mm. None of it is real. Mm. And that sent me on a that was sent me on a tailspin. <laughs> that's the yeah. That, that's when you start to realize that sort of mm. stuff, and you break through and have those realizations. It's it's um, that's when you start to realize that you, you, you who you are and what you've been yeah. doing your whole life, and who you believe and what your reality is, is isn't it isn't the the truth you thought it was. It's like okay, well, there's something completely different yeah. going on here. My mind can do more than my body can do more than I ever expected. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's um, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty insane that you. Yeah, yeah. That we can do that in general. I know, I know. And then it just made how many of us are falling prey to that? Mm. Just I guess reacting Mm. to a sensation as opposed to responding, being taking a pause and being like, "Is that real? Is that Mm. you know?" Taking that space to be like, "I'm not going to react straight away. Let me give this space and just see what happens." And then, as soon as you let it go, the mind lets it go. Yeah. And there's yeah. no problem. Yeah. So the the, the ten day vinyasa was mm-hmm. that before you'd done your hundred hours of training or you hundred hours of training of uh, uh, it was a hundred hours of t- of sorry so meditation. Meditation. Yoga was next. Yoga was so. next. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So hundred hours of yeah uh, yeah hundred hours of meditation. So ten days. Ten days. Ten hours a day. Mm-hmm. Oh, pretty insane. And I think they actually do that down here down south, yes, don't they? they? Do. And I've, they do. I have looked at it a few times. You should before. do it. 
I want to do worst that. and best situation of your whole in- experience of your whole entire life. Do yeah. it, but don't. <laughs> I've had, yeah, exactly. I've had a couple of friends who 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 have done it, and they they both managed to complete it. Uh, one guy who said it was like not life changing. Yeah, he was like, mm-hmm. no, it was such an amazing experience. And then another guy come back like, oh, well, it wasn't as what everyone made it out to be. But okay. then I think when he came out of it, he then learned the lessons. Okay. You think you come back to society and all of a sudden you're like, there's noise everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And that's why you realise that it wasn't in the actual moment. So, no, I'm, I'm keen to actually you know, give it a go, definitely. It's, definitely uh, give it a go time. if you can. So yoga's next. Yoga was next. So I literally, I left the jungle and that's also, I realised, because you have 11 days, that you have to stay at that meditation retreat for 11 days. On the 11th day, you're just kind of getting used to getting back into society and we had, I don't know, 30 people on that retreat and everyone was just talking and it was the same hollow questions. Where are you from? What do you do? Mm. And I was just like, I've got to leave. So I told the owners of the retreat, I was like, I've got a flight booked to Delhi. I've got to go. And they were just like, you can't leave. And I was like, I got to go. <laughs> you got to think uh, we're running away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. That was another realization that I had. Yeah. Um, and so I went straight to Delhi and then I caught my next flight to go to Rishikesh, which is in the northern part of India next to Nepal, and uh, started my teacher training. Now, I got to my teacher training. And if you've never done yoga before, if you want to become a teacher, you need to complete your 200-hour teacher training before you do your 300-hour teacher training. So I got there. And for registration, I'd paid for a 200-hour. But then I looked at the schedule, and they only had maybe two hours of yoga a day. And then I looked at the 300-hour, and they had six hours of yoga a day. And I was like, I want to do the six-hour yoga Mm. a day. So I asked at the admissions, I was like, can I do the 300 hours? And they're like, yeah, sure, you have to pay an extra 200 US dollars, and you'll only get qualified for your 200-hour. And I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so I started that. But I'll preface this by saying from the meditation, SN Goenka, who's the teacher who teaches you the Vipassana method, what was a revelation for me, um, as you mentioned, that I was always running away, I noticed that that was such a huge pattern. He said in one of the evening meditations or talks, he said that you can have a garden and you can dig holes. You can dig as many holes as you like. You can dig this hole, you can dig there. You can have 20 holes. But if you take one hole and you keep digging from that same hole, you'll reach a depth that you never would have reached if you continue picking different holes in different locations. And it was like a pin dropped. Because at that point I had changed I was always in finance but I was always changing jobs even when I was living in New York I I moved every three months to a new house Mm -hmm. even though I stayed in the same job I was always looking for something else I was always on the run yeah um even going to Copenhagen even all of it was like a continual search for something digging holes everywhere and when I came out of the meditation I remember when my dad called me He's like, how did you find the meditation? And I just said to him, dad, I know that I need to stick, stick to the next thing that I do. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to become a yoga teacher. And he said to me, but you haven't, you haven't done it before. <laughs> and he's like, you haven't even done the training. You might not like it. And I was like, no, dad, I'm going to become a yoga teacher. Yeah, okay. And he was like, okay. He was just like, sure. I've got a history of changing things. Yeah, and he was yeah, just course, like, yeah. sure. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. He's thinking, well, what's next? Yeah. 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 And um, 
So I did the teacher training. I obviously had not done very much teach, teacher train. At, I mean, yoga before. Yeah. So the concept of staying on all fours was, I was like, this is so dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was quite, I was like, why would anyone do this on all fours? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So looking back on that now, it's quite amusing. Yeah. Um, As in hands on the ground. <laughs> hands like, on the ground. Yeah, yeah, on the ground. Yeah. I was like, this is like, just Like an animal. Weird. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is so strange. Why would anyone want to do this? Why do you have to hold a downward facing dog for so long? It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, the training itself was super intense. Obviously, I had no idea what any of the postures were called. Usually experienced or seasoned teachers do a, th- a 300 mm. hour because you've been teaching for two years and now you just want that extra little bit on top. Yeah. I went in and I was like, what is the trikonasana? <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea. Um, and I think also not having experience also made me question things a lot more. Yeah. So um, at the training in meditation, a meditation guru, you call a teacher guru there, um, he said to me, there is only one path to enlightenment, which is through meditation. Now, this is a meditation teacher. He's been teaching meditation since he was 12. Yeah. His father is a meditation guru. Yeah. And I questioned him. I just said, I disagree with you. Oh. <laughs> I, I believe that if you are... I mean, at that time, it was who's the professor who had taken acid and then he rummed us. Yeah, 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 rummed us, yeah. And I was like, I was like, if you know rummed us, you know that you can find enlightenment through taking drugs as well. That will set you on the path. And he wouldn't talk to me. No, I can imagine. He was so disappointed that I mentioned that. And he was just like, that's the cheap way. Yeah. And I was like, I agree with you, but there's not just one way. Yeah, okay. You know, and so this is where it all kind of it was great that I was able to question everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there was an experience, um, towards the end of the training. I got very ill. I ate street food that not street food. I must've eaten something that just wasn't right. Yeah. Um, and I was so ill. I was throwing up for maybe 24 hours and I got called. I called for help and they said, look, you need to go to the hospital mm. to get a drip. I go to the hospital and it is in a rural village. Yeah. And there were hundreds of people, um, all sick, all with diarrhea, all vomiting because there'd been a storm. So obviously everything gets washed. Anyways, spare you the details. The doctor that came up to me, he looked like he was 18. Mm. He was wearing jeans, flip flops and like a white coat and he's like, I'm just going to wash my hands. Washes his hands. I'm lying on a bed. And he wipes his hands on the curtain around my bed. And I was like, oh, I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's like, we're going to give you a drip. You need to be here for at least six hours. We're going to give you three drips because you've lost um, a lot of liquid and hydration. So anyways, I was like, I need to check the needle, make sure that it's safe before yeah. you put it in my skin. Anyways, I was there for six hours. And that was probably, apart from the whole experience of teacher training, the most transformative six hours I've ever experienced. So the first person who got wheeled in, and Mm. I'm not even making this up, the first person who got wheeled in next to me was a 110-year-old barber. So the meditation guys who walk around in just kind of like a nappy and a headdress. Um, He was 110 years old, half my size. He was so skinny. Um, and he needed, he wasn't feeling well and he had to get, they had to give him shots for something. Mm. And he was just in a lot of pain. Mm. And I was lying on my bed. I remembered that I was 
sad on myself because I was vomiting and I was missing out on a day on my teacher training. And I was like, there's a guy who's been carrying 110 years of life on his bones. And he's complaining because he's an actual physical, 110 year old bones. I'm like, what the hell are you complaining about? It put everything in perspective Mm. for me. He gets wheeled away. The second person who gets pulled in, he was about a 40-year-old man. He got carried in by six of his family members. They had been walking for over five hours from a rural village. They all carried him by hand. He had been bitten by a snake. So by the time he reached the hospital, he was frothing at the mouth. Mm -hmm. And the family members were so broken because they were watching this whole process of him dying yeah um and when he got there i remember the doctor looked at me and he was like "Mm, he's gonna die so there's no point and i i honestly i just remember feeling like i at that point i was almost desensitized i was just like what is going on um and then the third person who got wheeled in was a baby girl she was maybe two years old And she came in and she was screaming, screaming. And I remember I was feeling her pain in her cries. And her mother had her covered, spottled in a huge blanket. Mm. And as the mother pulled the blanket off, I could see that the child was covered in huge, huge burn marks all over her body. Um, And the story was that I found out that the mother had boiled water and accidentally spilled it on the child. Oh, no way. And... Oh, yeah. And I remember me thinking I was so upset. I was angry. Naturally, you'd be angry with the mother. Like, but also as like accidents happen, one and two, the message that came through very clearly for me was that that child chose that life. Mm -hmm. She because I was like, those burn marks will be with her for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. That child, that soul chose that experience. Mm. To, and to have that relationship with her mother because her mother will forever feel guilty mm. for that situation. So you can just imagine how that's going to play out in 10, 15 years' time. And for me, that was reflective on me and I was just like it made me look at my journey a lot yeah. deeper and my relationships. And anyways, so that was that was India in a nutshell. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and that was when I finished, literally three days later, I finished my teacher training. Yeah. And I knew that I was going to be a yoga teacher. And um, I left literally a day after it finished. I went back to Greece. And that day I applied at a yoga studio and I got a job straight away. Started teaching at a yoga studio. And then within a month or two, they asked me to manage the yoga studio. And that's when I knew that I needed to come back home to Australia. Okay. Yep. (laughs) How how long has that been now? Um, I came back... In October 2016, no, it must have been later than that, 2017. So So I've been back here. Two and a bit years. Yeah, two and a bit years. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. So, and and how has your journey been yogic-wise and reflective-wise from then then on? It was, um, the journey was really humbling again 
um, when I first started. So I didn't know anyone here in yoga because I'd been working in finance before. And I didn't know anyone in yoga. And when you're new, everyone's like, okay, bye. Is it still quite clicky? Yeah, it it was quite clicky. And so I was very lucky that I started teaching in gyms. And then uh, my friends encouraged me to teach in a park. So I was teaching my friends in a park for $5 a person once a week um, for maybe six months. Yeah. Um, And it grew. Slowly that grew from one person that I was teaching to three people to seven people. And that's when I got a job teaching in a gym. And then I went to a handstand class and I got paired up with a yoga studio owner. Mm -hmm. And she was like, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm a yoga teacher. And she was like, really? (laughs) She's like, I don't know you. And um, I was just like, yeah. (laughs) And she's like, well, I own a yoga studio. And I was like... I was like, okay, never mind. I <laughs> Can we become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> and basically that was it. So I got a, I was started with one class with her. Then I got two classes yep. and then the other studios started hearing about me. And that's, was just domino effect. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. That That is the whole story of, you've just told me there. I don't know how long we're going for, but it's over an hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's incredible and it's inspiring. Oh. It is. It is because um, I don't think people out there follow their passions enough. Um, yeah. you know, we, like I say, we're back to the very beginning. We always get put on this track where we have to believe we have to be something that we're not, um, just to please others. And you've just gone with your passion, and you, and you, yeah. you're in your you're in yoga now. So, where is it that you currently teach? Um, currently, um, I currently teach at uh, Bodyscape Yoga. I was at well. Now everything shut. Center space, yab yeah. yum yoga, um, twisting peacock yoga, and then I teach corporates and privates. I'm probably forgetting somewhere. Do you, you, do, you do online as well? Yes, and yeah. I do online. So yeah. I'm teaching online at the moment through okay. Zoom and through my website. Okay. So yeah. before we go on to that contact, there's two questions I always ask people on this podcast. Yes. And for me, um, you've already you've already gone through quite a lot of this. But for me, performance, my business yeah. is performance through health. So performance is just the ability to get what you want mm-hmm. truly, what, what yeah. you truly want. You want. And then the health is, is by healthy mind, healthy body. So to take your levels, to your, your performance or to get the next thing that you want, mm-hmm. even if, and that might not even be something that you're thinking about because you might just be going with your intuition and, yeah. and leading right now. But is there anything that you can be doing to think that you can be better yourself? I think um, in terms of bettering myself, I I want to rephrase that. Yeah, because I, yeah. I don't want you to, yeah, yeah I, I don't need to be better. That's yes, what I, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Or being more or... or, or yeah, uh, I think I, I, to be honest, I think it's a continual process of in being better, it comes with being more self-accepting. Yeah. So, and I think that's how you become better at yeah. anything is when you're more accepting of yourself and more loving towards showing more compassion towards yourself, you're able to show up more as yourself. So yeah. instead of berating yourself for who you are and things that you've done wrong or haven't done or have done, if you accept and if you love and if it allows you to show up as you are, and ultimately that is the best version of you. Yeah. And that changes every single day. Mm-hmm. But the more self-accepting you are, the better version of you that you are. I love it. 
Yeah. Love it. Uh, the next question is about health. So obviously there's mm-hmm. sickness all over the world. There's chronic disease, mental health issues, movement issues, mobility issues. If you were to pick one thing, anything you already have um, that you could change, and you can't say yoga actually. Okay. Yeah. You, if you were to change one thing in the whole world that would improve health, what would you what would you choose? Or what would you advise? Um, I would advise for the whole like for the whole world. Yeah, just look. Just thinking on a grand scale, I'm yeah. thinking the world's sick. Yes. What do you feel would have the biggest impact? If everyone just honestly had a little bit more joy, dance, dance Dance, or sing or anything that allows you to move out of the constructs of straight line, time space, anything that allows you to move out of who you should be, Mm -hmm. like the tightness of who you should be, lets you break the shackles a little bit, let your hair down anything that brings you joy. So when you, my biggest example of this is when you watch children, Mm. children in their joy, they will just bob their heads or bounce or move. They always constantly in motion because it's those tiny expressions of life that come through you. So if I, the broader spectrum would probably be dance, but it's just any form of movement that Mm. allows you to express, even just while talking, it's a hand expression, it's a gesture, be big let things come out from the internal out and so yeah if it would be anything i'd say dance and that is a very broad way of just saying any form of movement that expresses what's inside and just brings it out yeah so being innocent being who you are just enjoying play and innocence also could mean that you're angry stomp it out get mad yeah yeah yeah. everything yeah expression expression but in its truest form yeah yeah, Amazing. I think then that would reduce a lot, lot of illness in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So if, if anyone wants to get in contact with you to learn yoga, to discuss, speak, learn about your journey, uh, where, can they get, where, where can they get hold of you? Um, so that you can get hold of me on my website, um, which is www.karinapaksinosyoga.com. Also on my Instagram, just under Karina Paxinos, um, or Facebook Messenger. I mean, you can get hold of me anywhere, really. Um, these days on the socials. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank um, you so much. Really enjoyed the conversation. Really enjoyed uh, hearing about all that experience. And it's it's inspired me to get more into the the inner world again. And uh, just a quick message to Chelsea. I hope you enjoyed this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, (laughs) Chelsea. Thanks to all the listeners. Yeah, thank you.